Lifespan Live with your host, Eugene Ardino. Hello everyone. Welcome to our Lifespan Live podcast series where we discuss key issues for advice businesses. Today, Eugene Ardino, the Chief Executive of Lifespan Financial Planning, is joined by his father, Lifespan founder, John Ardino. And they're going to reflect on how Lifespan, now one of Australia's fastest growing licensees, has developed over the past quarter of a century. Welcome, John and Eugene, to Lifespan Live. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Jeremy. John, let's begin with you. What was the environment like when Lifespan was established 26 years ago? And what was the catalyst for for Lifespan's creation? Well, it was actually quite different Uh, in 1994. When I founded Lifespan, advisors didn't do SOAs. They did financial plans, which were governed by fairly rudimentary disclosure rules, not by a regulatory guide with very detailed and prescriptive requirements on what was needed inside the SOA, as we have now. Platforms were in the early stages of development at that time, and there were still many standalone retail funds vying for business. The catalyst was the desire to have my own advice firm and to service advisors and accountants who wanted to enter the field. I wanted to control my own destiny and be independent of institutions. There were many privately owned licensees in the 90s, as well as institutional ones, and competition for for advisors was very, very tough, in fact. So how many advisors did you start with? Well, we started off with only a handful of advisors, but... By pre-FSR, FSR was around 2003, we actually had around 200 advisors. But of course, um, increasing compliance and other factors and training requirements, that soon sorted a lot of people out. That's what happened, but uh, we were very successful in attracting advisors in those early days. Many of them were accountants who weren't dedicated full-time, and thank God that's been one of the main changes. Eugene, what do you remember those, those early days? What do you remember about that? Not much. I was I was only 13 or 14 years old when, when Lifespan was started. I, I remember the family conversation being told that we all needed to tighten our belts because um, we, was, we were starting a business and, and I was probably old enough to understand that. I don't really remember having to tighten or the impact of tightening our belts, mm-hmm. but I, I remember that. And I also remember back in those days Perhaps it was a few years later, helping out with some photocopying when you were doing your first compliance manuals. Back in those days, they were paper binded. But mm. that's, you know, I was just a teenager. I had other interests. So, John, what, what were the growing pains as the firm expanded? As you can imagine, there were many. Thank God I've forgotten most of them. It was just the um, intense competition. It was um, the need to do marketing. I've never been a great marketer. And I can actually remember the kids helping me uh, with emails and inputting into databases and, and stuffing letters in envelopes, etc. But um, it was just the fact that we needed software, we needed uh, brokerage management. So some of the first people that had to be recruited was a brokerage manager who, in fact, left our employee after 23 years. Another one was the person who ended up being research manager um, and uh, servicing advisor queries, doing a lot of plan checking in the early days. And he's now a lifespan advisor with his own practice with us. So it's very nice to have had uh, 
many of the original advisors who, in fact, are still with us. Uh, many haven't because we've actually bought their businesses, they've retired, but we're now recruiting mostly full-time dedicated advisors instead of people who also do accounting. And we've grown to a network of over 250 advisors, including substantial million and multi-million dollar firms with some with over 20 staff. Mm -hmm. So it's very satisfying to see that. And Eugene, I think you worked for a time in the business, didn't you? I did, yeah. So um, I had a gap year between high school and university and I spent uh, probably six or eight months of that gap year uh, working in the brokerage department. Back in those days, it was a very manual exercise of literally entering data into a, a, a spreadsheet, uh, which served its purpose then. But uh, And you talk about growing pains. We now, after I left the business and, and went to uni in 99, Lifespan went and developed its own brokerage system, which served it well for the best part of 20 years. Um, and, and I think growing pains... Look, we're still experiencing growing pains, you know. Um, it's interesting to hear Dad talk about the pains that he had back then. I don't know that it's any different now. Um, I suppose probably one of the things that that you experience now in terms of pain is all the, the constant change. Um, and look, you know, our industry's reinvented itself a few times, you know, in, 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 its, in, in, in my career. Um, so, you know, that's probably the biggest challenge. Technology is another one, you know, trying to find good technology solutions and, and keeping up with changes and, and making sure you've got stuff that, that fits your business. Um, so they're probably some of the main ones. John, when you, when you sort of step back, how would you say that lifespan has changed over its 26 years? I mean, what is different about the business today, but also what has stayed the same? What's different is that we have far more servicing staff now. Uh, for many years we had about 18 to 20 staff. Now it's substantially more because, as you know, best interest duty, uh, many other compliance requirement fee disclosure statements, simply monitoring FSGs and advisor profiles and all the plans checked. We might have checked for many years 1,000 to 1,500 plans a year. Now we're doing about seven, 8,000. It's at that rate, is it not? It's a big number. Yeah, it's a big it's number. Okay. Some days we, we, we have 30 to 40 new statements of advice to check. So the number of in-house compliance and technical staff that are monitoring and checking plans and complete files has escalated quite dramatically in the last few years. And that's of course necessary because some people don't like it. Some people don't join us because they know that we do that. However, would you like to be with a dealer that doesn't ensure that every advisor who's with you in the group is maintaining the, the correct standards and quality? I think prospects and a, prospective advisors should worry about that when they're searching for a dealer group. We have always, from about five or six years into the group, checked every single plan. And when I attempted, I remember when I did this with some of my biggest clients, and we said, look, your plans are good. Why are you asking me to keep checking them? Well, we like you to check them because sometimes you come up with things that we don't think about. 
But we do have a post-red situation where people that are that good now, we're encouraging that we only check a sample of plans because otherwise it's extremely onerous and costly. So we, we are sensible, but we maintain that level. We just don't check five plans a year from an advisor. We do check virtually all geared plans, I believe. That was the policy. And I believe we still do that. We do. We check yeah. every gear plan, but we don't do a lot of gearing. No. Probably the, the main way that we've changed over time. Yeah, look, compliance has definitely been a growth industry and it's it's definitely exploded in terms of the level of resourcing within the business, which is partly due to our growth, but it's, it's largely due to the, the level of, of compliance that's required. And plan and checking SLAs, uh, whether it be pre-vet or, or, or after the fact, is, a, is an enormous part of that. Uh, but probably the, bigger, the, the biggest area that we've changed, and that change I think started around the time that I came onto the scene, or shortly after, um, you know, 13 years ago, was moving from a group that was, you know, largely dominated by accountants who were accountants first, financial planners second, um, and, and typically their, their financial planning businesses were, weren't all that big because they spent the majority of their time um, doing accounting. So that was probably 75% of our business go back 15 years. Nowadays, I'd say that's more like 20 or 25% of our business. The vast majority of our planners and an even greater majority of our revenue is from full-time dedicated advisors. And that's not necessarily been um, by design by us. It's more been that I think with a lot of the changes that have been made over the last 10 years, it's been a lot harder to be and a lot riskier to be a part-time financial planner mm. because the, the consequences of making a mistake are severe. So... You know, we and, and yeah, it's part it's been part of our evolution. We've had to change our business in many ways over the twenty six year journey, and one of them was to to make the decision that we needed to cater better for the more serious full time dedicated financial advisory firm rather than just you know the little books of business. And we still mm. we still take on smaller groups, particularly those aspiring to be bigger. Mm. But you know, we've we've really worked over the last particularly over the last five or six years to adjust the offering so that it, 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 it appealed and catered to, you know, bigger financial planning firms. John, what would you say is the major difference between lifespan and other licensee groups? Well, Jeremy, you asked earlier what hasn't changed. Well, that may be well be the difference, and it's the fact that I've always felt that financial advice isn't just a business because it's got to be based on a recognition an attitude that in addition to health, family and relationships, achieving financial independence constitutes one of the bedrock foundations of personal and family well-being. When an advisor helps clients become financially independent and well-organised, they're helping them in areas that are of immense importance to their overall happiness for themselves and uh, their families. Additionally, advice is of critical importance to modern life uh, because the diversity of technical strategies, the immense number of regulations and complexity and plethora of choices in just about everything to do with finance, superannuation, uh, insurance, aged care, social welfare and investments are, are almost impossible to optimally navigate without expert guidance. So I think 
those two things drive the business, we'd like to be attracting advisors who feel, hey, this isn't just a business. It's on a level with what doctors do. It's on a level with people who who look after the most important aspects of a client's life. And if people don't value the importance of their income and their wealth, I think it's a little bit strange. So I'm stunned and appalled by the fact that so few Australians access advice and that it's so expensive and that the government has not allowed deductibility of initial advice and all that sort of thing. I feel that there ought to be more encouragement by the authorities to enable good financial advice to percolate amongst all groups in the community. And um, there are many advisors out there who have a sense of, well, it's my professional duty to help people, even if it's pro bono, because I know many advisors who, for very small amounts of money, add enormous values to their client and, and do a great deal of unpaid work for them even if they can't afford it because it's so important. As you look back on Lifespan's 26 years, um, what do you see as the highlights? There were quite a number of milestones, Eugene, that I think we've achieved. I think our funds under advice when they got to about $2 billion was a good milestone for me and um, the number of clients went in the tens of thousands as well. Achieving these wonderful, substantial, highly committed practices who employ staff, look for the best available software, uh, is very, very pleasing. We've achieved growth in our MDA, so a lot of a lot of our advisors see the value in what we do there with our managed uh, discretionary accounts license, which makes their lives easier and the client's life easier and their ability to service the client easier and more efficient because without efficiency in, in, in a world of very low margins, I think it's very tough to be an advisor and to be a dealer group. So yeah. we're constantly looking for the technical edge, the technological edge that's going to give our advisors and our in-house head office support services some form of edge. Yeah, I think definitely the launch of our MDA um, back in or of our NDA portfolios back in 2011 was a big milestone that helped the business transform the business in some ways. I was quite proud when we uh, when we had our 20th annual conference. I thought that was quite a milestone. Oh yes, back absolutely. in uh, that was a cracking conference as well in Darwin. Yeah, absolutely, um, fantastic. So that was that was a proud time. Um, and look, also just seeing some of our advisor businesses that we've had for so many years grow into really successful firms. Some of them have won IFA awards and, and, and other awards. Um, it's nice to have been able to share in that, that journey with, with a lot of those advisors. Take the last couple of years, for example, we've seen the financial planning industry contracting, getting smaller. But yet against this backdrop, lifespan has continued to grow. How did you, how did you achieve this? Jeremy, my view is that any advisor, any member of the public, would have been absolutely appalled by the hearings in the Royal Commission. We appear to have, as an organisation, an unrivaled reputation as a trustworthy, no BS organisation, and, and as well as an organisation with heart. We like our advisors and staff and respect their individuality and rights. We're constantly trying to improve as an organisation, 
and we acknowledge and deal constructively with our areas of weakness. I think um, when people get to know us and experience the service, they mightn't like some aspects. We're not, we're, we're human and we do lose some advisors. But uh, at the end of the day, I've got to tell you, we've still got advisors that have been with us 23, 24 25, years, yeah. 25 years even. In fact, don't we, we hand out awards. We do. Each year for people who've been with 15, 20 years for, you know, it's loyalty, recognition. And um, the fact is that, you know, we've got to put some of that down to the fact that many of our competitors in the institutional space have disappeared. However, I believe that our, that our growth is one where people are looking at a quality organisation with experience and which is realistic and has good relationships and agreements with, with advisors and respects their, their professionalism and independence. And, and I'd add to that, yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with all of that. Obviously, I think to continue with that, I think our team has really strong connections uh, with the advisor group. So a big part of our growth has also been our retention, our ability to keep advisors with us. We don't lose very many advisors to competitors. We lose a few, but very, very few, particularly over the last sort of five or six years. I feel like we've really come into our own. And you know, a lot of it is just listening to our advisors and, and, and treating them with respect, but also having the right governance and, and compliance frameworks in place and also attracting advisors that fit our culture our client-centric pro-compliance culture so that way there's a clear expectation when they join of what they're going to get what they're going to experience what they should expect so there aren't too many surprises so i just think you know we treat our advisors like family in many cases and a lot of this a lot of them have actually expressed that, that that's how they feel so yeah no it's it's uh, there's a lot of that and i think retention and, and and you know word gets around i think we we probably do have a reputation for being a caring and, and honest organisation, yeah. but also a competent organisation. So, yeah. So you've had a, a good first quarter century. How's Lifespan positioned for success over the next 25 years? Good question. Look, I think the main thing we need to do is, is maintain our core values of integrity, but also continue to evolve and, and to be aware of all the things that we need to be doing and all the things that we need to be adapting to, to as, as the industry evolves and, and as people's lives and our clients, our advisors' clients' lives evolve. Our privately owned structure, I think, is also important. I think that is important to, to advisors, but also the ability to, to have scale, I think, is becoming more and more important. So growth is important. And, and, you know, with the costs of advice continuing to, to go up and the, the level of compliance continuing to increase, having scale and, and good technology to be able to offset some of that's really important. You know, I think it's a combination of those things. But could I say that it's also reflected in factors that have destroyed other dealer groups, namely complaints, professional indemnity claims, rising professional indemnity costs etc etc now we have survived all that for 25 years and in fact due to our very good record in relation to all that i believe that you have already announced eugene in terms of our pi renewal that yeah we didn't get a rate 
increase. We didn't get a rate increase, and and the the we had a premium was, increase. Was a premium increase, of but course. it was largely in line yeah. with our the growth in our business. So, Obviously, so we did not have to revenue. Yes. So we did mm. not have to raise yeah. our PI levy to advisors in this environment. I think that's quite a, a good achievement. But I do think that when you read out there that institutional groups are getting out of advice because they can no longer afford the compliance, they can no longer afford the remediation costs, which are in the hundreds of millions of dollars. It's very good to be able to say, because of our compliance, because of fairly stringent requirements that we like to impose and that most vast majority are not only comfortable with, but love to see that feedback that we give them on their plans and on their activities. Um, Because of that, we've been able to maintain a major cost at a, at, at a affordable, let's call it affordable. We'd like it to be a lot less, but, you know, we can't control the insurance market. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is a major factor determining the viability of individual practices and whole dealer groups, because we've seen them disappear due to this factor. Sadly, we have. And yeah. I think that's a really good point. The client experience is the most important thing, I think. And in terms of our next 25 years, I think we'll, we do a lot of other things. You know, we have, we have our MDA, we're involved in other businesses and we have other interests. But so long as we remember and structure our business such that advice is its core, giving, creating an environment where advisors can give quality advice to their clients must remain the core and that must be the centre of everything we do. I believe, you know, the other things can fall into place provided you're out there looking for good technology and, and all the other things you need. But it all has to circle back to the client experience and, and the advisor's ability to be able to deliver that, that, that really good client experience. And, and I think that's one of the big reasons why we haven't had claims, you know, um, relative to, to other groups. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'd say that that would be... So long as we, 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 we keep that core value, um, I believe that we've got a great foundation to, mm. to be successful for another 25 or 26 years. Final question before we, we wrap it up. What's next? What's the next milestone? What's the next step? Unfortunately, there are many <laughs> next steps, Jeremy. This is an industry with constant daily change. And it's a business with numerous moving parts. I personally think that one of the biggest challenges facing any dealer group out there is to develop or lock into the best available technology that is going to create efficiencies for the servicing head office and the advisor in the field. And I believe that is quite a challenge because I don't think that there's much in the way of artificial uh, intelligence, machine learning type software that will help our compliance, which has now become one of our biggest necessary, but biggest costs. And um, enabling the advisor to get his documentation and advice process streamlined so he can see more clients and service them, service them better, and also at hopefully a lower rate so that he can see more clients and service the community better, one would think. I think that is a challenge that any realistic dealer group has to face for the future. So, so yeah, look, that, in that's terms my of, big one. In terms of 
technology is a big one, you know, in this in this new world of, well, it's not all that new, but let's call it the post Royal Commission world with more compliance and and and, and more requirements, more professional standards. Technology is going to be a very important part of the puzzle that that all businesses need to get right. So certainly, it's to enhance our our IT systems and our technology solutions, enhancement of our MDA solution, because that is a really great way that advisors can add efficiencies to their business uh, and continuing to just deliver great outcomes for advisors yeah. and clients. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't like to set targets. I suppose I would consider it a great achievement if we were able to continue to grow but maintain our our soul, you know, our, our ability to to really be a caring organisation, to listen to our people and to to foster an environment where advisors can deliver great outcomes. So yeah, sorry, I, I know I know people love target numbers, but yeah. it's just not how, how I think. Thank you both for, for sharing your thoughts about Lifespan's journey through the first quarter century. Uh, congratulations on what you achieved and uh, we look forward to, to more growth in the future. So thank you, John. Thanks, thank you, Jeremy. Eugene. Great to be here. Thanks, Jeremy.